Hello and welcome to LOPR Aftershock with me again, the British. Uh, my name is Matt Mayer, aka The Implications, aka Imp. You can follow me on Twitter at the Damn Impercat. And yes, this was meant to be uh, Stephen Bell jumping in to return you with his smooth southern drawl. However, plans obviously changed, just like WWE. And now I am here to fill in. Uh, Steve was not happy about having to miss tonight's show. But so send him all your hugs and cuddles or whatever whilst he's <laughs> whilst he is wallowing at home and unable to join us. However, you can now join for me whilst I'm clicking about trying to embed the player on the site on lots of pain. So if you are listening to this, I don't know how. <laughs> so I've not posted the link yet. I'm currently panicking about, but it should be done within a second. But yes, uh, SummerSlam finished about 15, 20 minutes ago. And I personally really, really enjoyed the show. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think that the way I'd describe it was I was sports entertained. That doesn't necessarily mean I was wrestled-tained. <laughs> that's not a, it's not a saying, it's not a thing. But that's kind of that's what I'm trying to say is the I was sports entertainment like WWE did present themselves as sports entertainment. I've just stopped my point so I can actually think. <laughs> and Aftershock is and LOPR Aftershock is live. Here we go. Shock. Actually, I have to put this put the SummerSlam thing on it as well. Duh, duh, duh. Hashtag SummerSlam. Hashtag it. You gotta hashtag it. <laughs> it's a really serious slam. There we go. Amazing listening. Totally professional. <laughs> Anyone who's a first time listener just hit me, hit me just like right. It is. 10 to 4 in the morning, I'm going to have to stop my point and fully concentrate and say out loud what I'm doing in order to follow it all. All right, I'm just going to preview the post on Laws of Pain as well <laughs> to check the play is actually there. All right, there we go. I see the image. It's brilliant. It's great. There we go. I can shut up and concentrate now. Right then. SummerSlam. <laughs> yeah. So the way I'd explain it for me is if you're somebody who like, goes through the match, goes through the show and you rate each match on like star quality and everything, for me, I haven't really got any matches above three stars, maybe aside from the main event. Like, I've got nothing above three stars. However, I was thoroughly sports entertained, and I really enjoyed the show. So I'd actually give the full-on rating for the show much higher than that. I wouldn't give it like a three out of five star kind of thing. Um, I'm somebody who, if I enjoyed the show, I'd just say I enjoyed it. Some some shows like really enjoyed. This one was like, no, it was an enjoyable watch. It was totally watchable I <laughs> enjoyed it from start to finish it wasn't long as well like me in the UK that was my other fear that like there was rumours going around it was going to be six hours and I was like oh please no <laughs> G1 Climax final starts at 7am <laughs> that would mean that SummerSlam finished at 6 and I wouldn't have time to <laughs> I'd have one hour to do my aftershock oh that would be mental but anyway I am um, uh, yeah I might get some sleep that would be amazing <laughs> If I'm able to wrap up this aftershock in decent time, but also I've got enough time to kind of go into the matches rather than like panicking about <laughs> thinking, have I got enough time? Uh, but yes, so I will be looking at the uh, Lords of Pain results to do this as well. Uh, you can follow, I've already said you follow me on Twitter at the Implicat. If you want to talk to Stephen Bell, you can follow him on Twitter. Uh, he tweeted it out. What is his Twitter? God, this is so professional. <laughs> totally. If you, I thought I'd tweet out, it's, it's like Stephen Effing Bell, isn't it? Everyone knows this. Stephen F. in Bell, I got it right first time, didn't even need to look it up. So, yes, 
You can follow him on Twitter if you do want to message him. He is behind, though, which is why he's not been able to join. He was uh, real life got in the way, and he was he wasn't going to be able to get to the show until like a few hours in. AKA a live immediate aftershock was not happening. <laughs> if uh, Steve was going to be joining us, so decided to go live with me instead. Uh, fingers crossed for the next one, everyone. I just hit the table. My limbs are tired. <laughs> Ow. Uh. Right, so I'm not going to be talking about the kickoff uh, when uh, Stephen was telling me earlier that he wouldn't be able to make the show. My uh, my words were piss off. Am I doing <laughs> the pre-show? <laughs> I'm not watching two more hours of the, of bollocks. Uh. For what I saw, though, it was because I I saw the. So the reaction to Lorcan Gulak was it was fine, nothing special. Same Buddy Murphy cruise, but that led into the story which they showed on the main show, so I know more about that one. Uh, I know next to nothing about the Iconics uh, versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, apart from the fact we were meant to be, uh, Bliss and Cross were meant to be Woody and Buzz Lightyear. Alexa Bliss, blatantly Buzz Lightyear. Nikki Cross, from what I can tell on the images, she just wore jeans? <laughs> Does that make you Woody? Oh, I don't know. But uh, yeah, so immediately jumping to the main card, uh, I might I'm going to do things a little bit differently from uh, Stephen Bell. Where I don't know why, but maybe it's a British thing. We'd like to talk about the big story first, like the big thing that's just finished. So for us, for this SummerSlam card, there's two really really big main event things I want to talk about first, and then I'll go through the card in order afterwards. So the main event: Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar. I was somebody who. Wasn't feeling that amped for this. Uh, another caveat: I have uh, proof that I can easily fit Stephen Bell's shoes. I have not watched SmackDown or Raw in quite a while, <laughs> so this is a feeling you will all be used to. <laughs> yeah, I have not watched it in quite some time, so I'm a bit lost. Like, see, last thing I knew with Dolph Ziggler, he'd super kicked Shawn Michaels on Miz TV, and now he's facing Goldberg. <laughs> uh, I was a little bit lost <laughs> when I saw that, that was announced, but. Uh, in the promo package, it did a decent job of tying it to Raw Reunion and all that stuff. So, oh, it flowed quite nicely then, I guess. It makes somewhat sense. It was just a fun little match. Immediately, I'm not talking about Lesnar Rollins. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I w- so I didn't have massive hopes for Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar because it felt like the television had kind of killed it. Like, whenever they did a good segment, they, uh, the stuff I saw on Twitter afterwards where people just like felt like the week afterwards pulled them out. Uh, kind of rinse and repeat especially the final two weeks were a good example of that from what I can see uh, Brock Lesnar did his amazing beatdown and Seth Rollins really took it to him and the next week Seth kind of came across as a bit of an idiot just going in and getting beaten up all over again so going into this pay-per-view he just didn't have any momentum like, kind of like Ember Moon early in the night where she was given a win early on to establish her and then on the shows leading up to the pay-per-view she just got beat like like, why? <laughs> why would you take away their momentum like that for no reason? But uh, Seth Rollins, for me, he seems to have lost a lot of support. The thing that we should all like, bring people back to him is just let him wrestle. <laughs> He's a really, really good wrestler. And him having to wrestle matches like the Lacey, Evans and Baron Corbin tag team match for Becky Lynch. Like, the whole Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch are boyfriend and girlfriend angle, that did nothing for either of them. Like it might have worked if they were like maybe able to be themselves a bit, but the scripted versions of Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins, no, they did, they were no, those promos were not good, no. But here, Seth Rollins was able to wrestle like Seth Rollins, and when Brock Lesnar cares, Brock Lesnar cares, and he delivers a fantastic match immediately from the get-go. When Seth Rollins was landing on his feet after the German suplexes, 
and they didn't do it just once. It was a, it's kind of like when it happened the second time, it immediately switched the match and just like, right, well now what happens then? <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice little twist in the Brock Lesnar match because he just destroys them with the German suplex. But here, he was not going to be able to just go straight into them. He would have to do damage to Seth Rollins first. Obviously, it's Brock Lesnar. He'll find a way. <laughs> it's that, just that amazing spot where he picked him up by the bandages and just flung him round. <laughs> like as a commentator was saying, just like a child. <laughs> like just throwing a throwing around like he was a toy. He's a fully grown, over six foot man. He's <laughs> been launched by Brock Lesnar. Like that was kind of cool to see. <laughs> it was an amazing spot. Uh, and then Seth Rollins did eventually get put like back a bit by Brock Lesnar. He entered Suplex City. Or, or he said something else. It's like, like, Torture City or something, or Torture Time Bitch or something. I'll be honest, it didn't feel as cool, whatever it was. <laughs> it's not Suplex City. He's not invented a new thing. Uh, well, I mean, he probably wasn't trying to, given that he lost. But yeah, so uh, Brock Lesnar did get back into the match, and you thought, right, this is hitting the Brock Lesnar kind of pattern of the matches. This is the middle portion of a Brock Lesnar match, which isn't an immediate squash where he's going to enter Suplex City, he's going to fling his opponent around. And then the question becomes, in the later stages, do the counters start happening? Really, that didn't really... It was a lot more even than I was really expecting. And Seth Rollins got some really, really good offence. It was... It was quite interesting, because Brock Lesnar, when he... I'm not really used to him really (laughs) being on the back foot that much against a smaller wrestler. And Seth Rollins, the only way he did it at WrestleMania that that was when he was doing his super... I was going to say super kicks. (laughs) But they're quite low super kicks. (laughs) Kick to the dick. (laughs) Quite a bit lower. So he was doing all of that offence. And here he didn't need that, which I thought was a really, really good twist that made Seth Rollins look a lot, lot better than, I guess, in his other matches where he's had to use the dirty tricks to do it. He didn't need any of those dirty tricks here. He (laughs) outpassioned... Not to make it sound cheesy or whatever... But he, he turned the Canadian crowd with his, uh, I guess, with his athleticism. And then the thing that really, really got them was when he first landed from the first German suplex and immediately went into a stomp and the crowd were like, oh, shit, it might end here. <laughs> that group like, immediately woke me up. They'd already been woken up by the thing prior, but I'm going to talk about that like a little bit later. But Seth Rollins, the, the bit that really, really got me into the match was when they started brawling on the outside, and then you've got the assumption that Brock Lesnar is going to eventually counter, and then yeah, so Seth Rollins is doing all of his suicide dives. This is way after Seth Rollins has driven Brock Lesnar's head into the ring post and all of that. He's now doing a suicide dive on the outside, and like everybody on Twitter was having my exact reaction. <laughs> just that when he's doing his suicide dives, he's just that, right, he's going to keep doing suicide dives, and Brock Lesnar's going to catch him and F5 him <laughs> through a table... That is my 100% expectation. What actually happened was he managed to hit two of the suicide dives and he kind of got to that point of, oh, he's probably just going to hit his third then. Uh, nope, Brock Lesnar catches him and does an amazing German suplex. But, or does he? I can't remember what happened there. Somehow Brock Lesnar ended up on the table and I'm having a complete brain fart how that actually happened. I thought he suplexed him. That can't be right. What did he do? I can't. My eyes are blurry. I can't. <laughs> I don't... Yeah, for those of you who are just wondering what happened there, I was stalling to then scroll down to the Brock Lesnar match on the Laws of Pain results. So, uh, thank you, Mark Middleton, for banging those out during the pay-per-view. So I was scrolling down trying to find it, and then suddenly realised when I got there, oh yes, my eyes are relatively blurry because it's 4am and I can't read this. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Rollins back. Oh, the back and that was it. He caught him for the suicide dive and then ran full pelt into the corner post. That was it. That was a, <laughs> the dev- that was devastating. That I was not expecting it to hit with that much force. So yeah, well done, Brock Lesnar. Right, what happened there? Lesnar rams Rollins back into the corner once again. Lesnar charges, but Rollins moves and the champ hits the. Oh no, I'm way behind. <laughs> Good goal. Uh, Rollins goes for a third dive. Let's catch with him. Lesnar Rollins takes a part what happens here? Lesnar gets up first as the referee counts. Heyman orders Lesnar to get rid of Rollins. Rollins takes a part <laughs> right, Mark's missed the bit I'm trying to remember. That's really irritating. <laughs> ah I thought I'd found it. I found that's why I was reading it out loud. I found the paragraph which will describe what happens, but Mark has missed <laughs> the exact sentence I need. <laughs> oh, well, something happens, and now it's Seth Rollins taking apart the Spanish announce table after Lesnar was the one that had the upper hand. Something happened. <laughs> uh, somehow, Brock Lesnar ended up on the table. It was awesome. Uh, uh, that wasn't awesome. I don't know what I'm trying to say there. <laughs> Brock Lesnar climbed to the top, and he's like, oh, you're going to hit a flash from here? And he does. <laughs> and he goes full pelt as well. The thing that I got impressed with was... With a move like that, like you could tell that with quite a few people, there's that fear in there, or there's just athletically quite difficult to keep your legs kind of flat and land horizontally. Seth Rollins, no fear, full pelt, jumped on that top rope, landed like so flat <laughs> on the uh, Bot Lesnar, like no uh, ac- no partly landing on his legs or anything like that. I was just, just a bit nerdy. <laughs> that I spotted, I was like, oh god, that's actually it's quite impressive that he was able to do that because I. I'd wimp out. <laughs> I'd 100% end up doing like a weird worm thing. <laughs> just just legs first and kind of kaflump, hurt my stomach on the announce table. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it wouldn't look impressive. So, yeah, so kudos Seth Rollins for that. But after that, like, the crowd, when Seth Rollins came out, I would say were indifferent or kind of mixed. He wasn't getting the, this is the top baby face that's going to take down Brock Lesnar. Everybody's really, really happy about that. It's like, no. He's, yeah, ap- I guess apathy, apathetic in a way. They weren't really super into Seth Rollins when he walked out. However, via the wrestling match itself, they actually got right behind him. It was booked really, really well. Seth Rollins did an awesome job. Lesnar as well did an awesome job. And yeah, pretty much that just led to the end. He got the fake out with the F5 and whatnot. But eventually, yeah, Seth Rollins gets two stomps and wins the match. And I don't have a time for it. But yeah, it was... I was really, really surprised by that one. Mostly because when I felt it, when he was coming out and I just wasn't feeling it, that's when I was like, ah, oh, right, I'm just going to wait for this one to end. It's good that this is coming so early on that I'm going to actually have my brain about me. <laughs> I wasn't doing an aftershock. If anyone listened to the last aftershock where I filled in, yeah, I think I did stomping grounds and that was, yeah, my it was, that was an interesting one. <laughs> that one. If you want to listen to somebody who was tired who had the show on but wasn't really watching it, and then does a live review. <laughs> Stopping Grounds is an interesting one. Uh, but yeah, Seth Rollins wins the championship, did an amazing job turning the crowd into their favour, because again, Canada crowd, the weird weirdo town, or whatever they call it on WWE, they, uh, they, yeah, they were not super into him when he walked out, when he got your initial crowd reactions, but by the end of the match, they were fully behind him, and yeah, really happy to see him win the title. I will say, this is one of those things where it's treated as a massive deal. Like, oh my god, he's dethroned Brock Lesnar. But of course, he's already done it at WrestleMania. And this Brock Lesnar story has been going on for about five years now. Because it was 
SummerSlam 2014 where he destroyed John Cena. That's five years ago, which is... <laughs> and it's still going, the same story where Brock Lesnar becomes this dominant champion and who's going to step up to take him down. It's like, yeah, it's been going on five years. And it's not in the sense of it's been built well kind of five years. It's stop, start, whole summer. Last year was a whole summer of just WWE in a stall all the way to SummerSlam. You know, they eventually able to move on when, of course, real life struck in the kind of worst way and they went back to the safety of Brock Lesnar. So I'm not really going to fault them on that bit, but... The summer part where <laughs> they had all the tools and they still hit the stall. So yeah, they stalled the car, and it's kind of been like that for a little while. So it's great to see them hopefully moving past this. I will say though, they're going back to Saudi Arabia, and Brock Lesnar is going to be on those Saudi Arabia shows. The money, he's not going to turn that down. <laughs> so you're going to see Seth Rollins again. That's of course you're going to see Seth Rollins again. You're going to see Brock Lesnar again. It's going to be around like Survivor Series kind of time, uh, but um, he was he's on the Clash of Champions uh, video. I don't know if they put him on because he was champion, and they were like, "Oh, might spoil the main event if he's not in the VTR for Clash of Champions." But still, he was he's on the video, so maybe we're getting Rollins Lesnar then, or because my my immediate thought was we're getting that held off maybe to Survivor Series. We don't really know what the layout's going to be for Survivor Series, but also Crown Jewel. I'm sure it's Crown Jewel 2, or just Crown Jewel... Crown Jeweler. <laughs> I don't know what to call it. So, maybe there's something. I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> I'm not watching any of the Saudi Arabia shows. Why would I watch shows that aren't... F- my, uh, yeah. Morality aside, those shows, the demographic is not me. And I don't... I've not in, I, didn't, I did not enjoy that first one, and all the subsequent ones have looked like they're very, very similar. Like, they're not targeted for, like, a hardcore wrestling fan like me. Is someone who doesn't really get to see WWE that often, and therefore I do not fit that at all. I've got an over-surplus of WWE. <laughs> the exact opposite. Uh. But yes, the main event delivered way beyond my expectations. To be fair, quite a few matches on this card did. As I was saying, like, most of the card, uh, maybe aside from Kofi versus Orton, I was not a fan of at all. And the main event over-delivered. I would say pretty much the entire card was like a solid three stars. Like, match after match after match. As in, all of them were entertaining. All of them were fun. They were very easy watches. The show absolutely flew by, which is great to say about a WWE show for once, finally. (laughs) I don't know if this is a kind of change going forward, but... Yeah, the longer show being three and a half hours, if these are kind of longer shows... Yeah, I'm all for that. I'm not for the four-hour ones. (laughs) Oh, but yeah... Stomping Grounds was short as well. I think Extreme Rules might have been as well. Although I was semi... I I watched Extreme Rules in parts whilst not really paying attention whilst mainly watching the G1 Climax. So, yeah. Yeah. If you don't know, the guy you are listening to, uh, I am the kind of New Japan guy on Laws of Pain. The person who's likely to write a New Japan column, that's me. So, (laughs) if it's a choice between WWE and New Japan, I'm going with New Japan, especially if it's the G1 Climax. It's like my favourite time of the year. Yeah, right. <laughs> that distracted me. But yes, the yeah, a solid show. Three stars from most of the matches. Orton Kingston kind of underdelivered. Main event overdelivered. What I was expecting. But the next thing I want to talk about before I go through the card in order, there's one match which lived up to everything I was hoping it would be, and that was the Fiend versus Finn Balor. 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> this was, like, from start to finish, from the promo... I paid... Like, we do we quite often, like, when a promo package plays, I might, like, get up and do something. I'll only be paying semi-attention. I'll open up Twitter. I'll check my feed. I'll check my notifications. Like, I'm not really paying attention to what's happening. I'm just waiting for the VTR to end and them to walk out. And then the match will begin, and I'll probably pay the most attention once the bell rings. However, with The Fiend versus Bella... I was, like, leaning forward, like, full attention. It had me. <laughs> I was just in uh, from, like, the moment the video package started playing, just remembering, like, just how great this has been. Like, all of these, uh, like, packages of the Firefly... I can't really say it. The Firefly Funhouse. Like, they have been so good. And the depth to them as well as... And the... Uh, all of the meanings to everything. I can't think of the word <laughs> to explain it. Uh but yes, they're all like, all the different hidden meanings and to everything they're saying. It's not simile, it's the other one. Metaphor, there we bloody go. <laughs> it, again, it's gone 4am, I'm allowed to forget the word metaphor. But yeah, so the, there's so many metaphors in that, in these, all those fam, Five Five Funhouse stuff, and uh, the, the Muscle Man dance and all that. <laughs> so I, I loved everything about that. Uh, and the way that it fed into then The Fiend. It's just that thing of, when he saw the Firefly Funhouse, it's just like, yeah, I'm all great, and I'm all chipper, and this is all great and everything, but nope, he's worse than he ever could have imagined. He's in the darker, darker place. It's like, oh, I, I love that, and I don't know... Uh, it it kind of gives a world into Bray Wyatt's head, and this is the idea of, like, this is how you cope. Some people cope after, like, a traumatic experience. It's just create, like, the, like a, a fun place to go where with these happy memories that you can kind of visit in your mind palace or whatever. Like, if that is what they've done, that's immediately so much depth to even try and portray that, especially for WWE, a wrestling promotion, to even consider to do it. Like, I don't know how much freedom Bray Wyatt has had. The rumours say a lot, but, of course, those rumours could just be because it's good. <laughs> it's just like, oh, it can't be Vince, it's good. <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, but, no, this this has been fantastic. Uh and the way they then debuted him on Raw with the lights all going out, and like your enter, like kind of like the way I saw it was a bit Silent Hill esque. If you're if you're not of the video game generation, that means nothing to you. But it's kind of like the alternate kind of limbo like world, where it's uh, like the Lost Souls kind of thing, where it's your world but it's not quite. And when when the lights go down and the lights start to flicker, kind of reminds me of entering Silent Hill. And I, I love that idea for the fiend. <laughs> like whenever he comes out, you are in your world, but it's like a limbo, <laughs> and it's kind of it's actually his world, even though it looks like yours, but it will look slightly different. It's like, oh, I love that idea. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of what happened on Raw reunion. I can't which one he went went for Mick Foley, I think, on Raw reunion, and did the mandible claw, and that was the introduction where he's going to start using that, which is it works so damn well because it's he's using it as such a brutal finisher. It's like, oh, like when he was introduced to Mankind, it was that, because he was this broken, warped mind, which essentially is what Bray Wyatt is now. So it fits that character so, so well. And then, he, of course, he did it again on Kurt Angle, which I saw some fans saying, oh, he should use all of the wrestlers' finishers. It's like, yeah, oh, that's just misunderstanding what <laughs> the point of him doing it on uh, Mick Foley was. It wasn't he was stealing his move. It was, no, it's the same kind of thing as Mankind in the warped, broken brain kind of thing. So... So to be fair, we'd only ever we'd only seen him do it on Mick Foley, and the subsequent weeks then give you more information. So, yeah, I would just say 
something on WWE where the more you watch it, the more you get out of it. It's, it's so at difference to the rest of the product. <laughs> it's just like if this amount of thought went into like, so many different parts of the product, it, it, it can't possibly go to everything because you don't have that much time. But the fact that there is more the more you watch it, it's just, oh, it's great. Whilst with a lot of the other stuff, it's dropped after two weeks or it's changed or something or it only goes to the pay-per-view and then it's done or people are in their own worlds kind of they don't really interact there isn't really a shared universe there's it's it, it, the, the phrase of WWE is the more you watch the more you feel punished for doing so whilst I've typically did the phrase that's used through there but why more to other promotions out there especially like New Japan where the more you watch it the more you get out of it difference being there's a lot on the surface with Bray Wyatt of New Japan, if there's one criticism of it, especially for a Western fan trying to get in, is that there's... When you first watch it, it won't kind of come across that there's a lot of story going on. You know, like, oh, how am I meant to understand the characters or anything? It's like, well, the more you watch it, the more you get out of it. So maybe on that first show, you won't understand everything, but there is a lot there, and you'll notice that the more you watch it. With WWE, it might feel like there's a lot when you first watch it, but then the more you do... Like immediately, like it might even only take two weeks, you'll realise that there's not really much there, <laughs> or what is there is changed so often. It's like yes, there has been a story with Seth Rollins, but the world around him has such a incredible level of inconsistency that the world building's not there. Like you can have with the it's a like rule with uh, script writing or for like world building for a movie, especially like a fantasy or sci-fi thing. Like you can have the best story in the world. However, if the universe does not have consistency or consistent rules, then it's all for nothing. And that's kind of what WWE is today for me. Like They're having decent stories within it sometimes, and obviously the wrestlers are some of the best ever, so when it comes to pay-per-view, the pay-per-views are delivering. However, the universe has such inconsistency that none of it matters. You kind of feel like, well, what is the point of all this, <laughs> in a way? Which is why The Fiend is such a breath of fresh air, where it's not just consistency like a Seth Rollins arc I guess where he mucked up and did all that this is every single week more and more depth and it's calling back to Bray Wyatt's past as well so it makes all of that relevant at the same time and all of his failings and all the people kind of related to his failings and oh it it works so damn well but then the show happens very it reminded me a bit of Shawn Michaels Undertaker where you got Finn Balor in his bright white and then there's the darkness of Bray Wyatt so I thought it was an amazing idea to have Finn Balor in his bright white undies. <laughs> I'll just call it what it is. <laughs> his bright white underpants and his bright white leather jacket. He looks badass in any colour. I can't do that. I look like a moron wearing the same outfit he was wearing there. <laughs> but yeah, so Finn Balor came out as like the bright kind of angel. Uh, uh, one of the shots as well where they had the light, like the big bright light which shined onto the ring was behind Finn Balor, kind of like highlighted him kind of like an angelic character, which was the kind of like the best shot to have just before he went to the Fiend. And Jesus Christ, the entrance to the Fiend. <laughs> like, uh, like there's a lot of criticism for the production of WWE sometimes. However, I feel like tonight they nailed it. Like, there's um, even the uh, some things that words on purpose like you saw quite a few shots with cameramen in it sometimes or uh, you see all the way you got the awesome shot up the ramp and then accidentally the ring post comes into view like little things like that however for me that's something like seeing the cameraman that makes it feel more gritty in a way makes it feel more grounded 
Is there, is there one criticism I have about the production, aside from the mental camera cuts? <laughs> like, it hit me during Charlotte versus Trish Stratus. <laughs> Sometimes there were some mental amounts of camera cuts. But, yeah, here they absolutely nailed it. Just the in, just the entire production from Finn Balor's entrance all the way to like, the final bit at the end, which, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so then the, uh, the Fiend starts happening. It does the lights down thing as it's done before. And then instead of doing the kind of thing he's been doing on a Raw, they did the like let him in kind of thing. It's like, oh, this is so dramatic, so awesome, very theatre like in its production of the horror. It's like, I love it, I'm all in for this. <laughs> like, I'm all in for like when where wrestling goes all kind of. When I say pantomime, I mean kind of in a like the theatre way of producing something, and this was awesome. <laughs> so much like that. Like, I don't take wrestling seriously. So when I do something like this, it's like, oh, yes, I love this. <laughs> so Bray Wyatt, when he came out, that was, it's kind of like, how... Because there's talk about WWE might be trying to be slightly pushing PG. I think it's fair to say the Bray Wyatt character kind of pushes PG. Like, maybe, you know, the urn now being encapsulated inside a Bray Wyatt head. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, is that is that Bray Wyatt's head with the eyes stitched closed? Oh God, <laughs> that is horrific! <laughs> like any kid seeing that, they've just seen a guy walk out with a decapitated head. Like, oh, like obviously for me, it's like this is a metaphor for the Bray Wyatt character. Like he is like dead now, or he's always he meant to be this shining light, or example, or something. We'll get it. We'll learn more over time. Hopefully, fingers crossed. If if the fiend keeps at the same pace he's been going. I just like this, these questions we have will become slightly answered, and that'll be enough. I don't want things like fully answered, like in a really bad script kind of just listing the exposition kind of way. But if you get things hinted at, that could be a possible answer for me. That's enough. Uh, yeah, with this character, keep it mysterious. I don't need to know absolutely everything. But yeah, that was a creepy entrance, <laughs> and the music as well. It was kind of like a more metal, ver- a darker metal version of the already pretty dark <laughs> Bray Wyatt theme, just with uh, a bit more screamo in there as well, with the hard, like more more hard distorted guitars as well, <laughs> like the head banging riff or whatever. It's like yeah, it it worked really really well. Just the whole kind of horror aspect to it. Uh, Obviously, the number one concern has been in a world where the investor or TV guidance world that WWE lives in, how far can they actually push the Bray Wyatt character? Or are they being really smart where this kind of stuff will be on pay per view? Because that's really the line that AEW have used, where there's been a bit of criticism. Like you heard you know, the famous blood and guts line by now. But they did that on pay per view on like in two matches, and they were both Cody Rhodes matches where there was any blood, really. And the rest of the show, the rest of the performers have been nothing. <laughs> so it's like it raised that. Um... But the point is that's on pay per view, and Tony Khan has said that that's not going to be on television. I don't. I feel like that's a decent example of like if you can't push it on television, they have got their own subscription network. The only people who would complain there are the investors, but it is locked away on the internet where they can just change a guidance if there's something on there. It's like, yeah, it could really, really work, maybe, to do something like that. I don't know if it will be WWE to push that barrier to see, but this kind of thing is a bit beyond... Like, the decapitated head, just a little bit non... 
PG. <laughs> but like someone my age is like, oh my god, this is amazing. Like, I can't imagine what it was there live <laughs> to uh, witness that uh, whole entrance. I don't know if you would have been able to see that it was Bray Wyatt's head. Maybe that's why the camera stayed on it for a while for our shot, because I'm assuming they showed that on the uh, big Titan shot so you could see it. But yeah, that would have been like, such an amazing entrance to witness live. Uh, the match itself, obviously the crowd started chatting this is awesome as soon as he'd entered and the match itself was like Finn Balor being caught off guard by it just made so much sense and Ray White dominated for all of it and Finn Balor being a good wrestler was able to then finally get his wits about him but it was way too late and Ray, and Ray was able to catch him with the mandible claw and just like such a vicious <laughs> finisher just to choke him out it's just, and then he's just down uh, there was one interesting move where he just seemed to snap his neck or fake snap his neck. It was a weird one. To be perfectly honest. <laughs> it's like, my immediate thought was, oh, that's an interesting mid-match move to snap his... <laughs> like, maybe I, was to, I just blinked at the wrong time and completely misread that. They didn't replay it. So I don't really know what happened. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Bray Wyatt, absolutely amazing. Everything about The Fiend was just so up my street. <laughs> it's like... Like, I'm not saying I'm a horror person, because I'm not a horror person. I cannot watch horror films. However, the presentation of this was so damn good. And it, the most important part, it felt like it served a purpose, and it moved things forward. And it gave so much depth, whilst also creating new questions for the character. It's like, yes, you got to see the presentation, you got to see him in a match, what it would be like, so you kind of got those answers. But then also, he comes out with the Bray Wyatt head. <laughs> and it's all creepy. Uh, and the uh, do more of the flashing light stuff. Especially post-match as well, where they were showing the replays, and then after it came back from the replays, uh, Bray was on the ramp, and they started doing the flashing light thing as he did, like like when the Undertaker kind of stops and turns back to the audience. However, he, these were like the flashing lights and everything, and the crowd going, "Oh!" And it's like that is awesome. <laughs> Just like from start to finish, like the word I'd use is captivating. It's like when WWE deliver, they, Jesus Christ, they deliver. And this was such a good... It was everything about it, for me, was perfect. I don't know what everyone else was expecting, but like, I wasn't expecting a back-and-forth match, because, no, this is a character part. <laughs> and it's, uh, my only issue is, on a weekly show, how long can they keep doing the thing? Cause I, I don't know if the Firefly Funhouse might wear a little bit thinner now that we've seen the character a bit more. Like, when it's building up that anticipation, you could kind of get away with it. But now we've seen him... Like, do you keep him attacking? Do you do the Five Five Funhouse, but not that often? Personally, given that there's pay-per-views so often, you can alternate just with the attack and the Funhouse attack Funhouse. And especially the big one being the uh, deal in October. You've only got one more month after this. You got one. You got your show in September, and then you're building to your like Fox debut and the whole new WWE with the brand split. So you're no longer going to have Bray Wyatt on both shows. So that's a major change. I don't think he's been on there on both shows physically, but they have been able to do like the fun house on one and his attack on the other. That completely changes. And so if if, it's, if he's just on Raw, for example, then it will change from like him doing both each week or him doing the same thing twice. Like with the fun house, we got repeated. At this time, you'll get one a week and it will kind of stretch it out a bit. And I feel like that's going to really, really help it. Because I'm not I'm, for this gimmick, I would like to kind of like the Undertaker, where he wrestles very infrequently on television, and that's how you kind of build up this aura. 
and you kind of use it to build the character and all the creepiness around him <laughs> or the reason why he's going after this next person they can build all that up on television he doesn't need to wrestle and he can save that for pay-per-view like build up the aura especially for somebody who doesn't have the network they can watch it on television and the creepiness just builds and builds so yeah I, uh, I'm really really like everything about that <laughs> I'm just so hyped for it right I'm going to now take a quick ad break just to keep everything for Laws of Pain Radio up on the internet. It costs money. It's not cheap. <laughs> You've never looked into it. There's a reason we keep going to ask on these things. So anyway, we're going to, I'm going to take a quick five-second break, and when I come back, I'm going to be going through the rest of the card. Let me mute my mic so you don't hit me, hear me slurping my water. Right. We'll be back in about five seconds or so. And I'm back. Uh, I don't. I've not got any of the aftershock stingers or things. I might need to just hit up Steve about that <laughs> so I can actually get them. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the submission match. My eyes are falling asleep. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, uh, before I get into this, is anyone else like mad enough to do the G1 climax final after this? <laughs> it starts in like two and a half hours. When this goes off air, I am going the F to sleep. <laughs> I am going. So I've just seen your message, Kath. Right. Uh, so, uh, reg- re- regular listener here on Laws of Pain, uh, Kath, who is who was there live in attendance. So she's listening to this, I'm assuming in the car on the way back. <laughs> That's why I guess hello to her friends as well. Uh, hey, Imp, honestly, The Fiend was the best entrance I remember ever seeing. Absolutely bone chilling. Which is... That was the feeling I was getting watching it. It was, it was just like, oh, I'm so jealous of everybody who is in that arena in Toronto. It's just, oh, it's just <laughs> everything about that entrance sounds awesome. <laughs> it just, oh, yes. I'm, I'm going to watch it again. But like, maybe not before I go to sleep. I don't want to have weird dreams. <laughs> I want to have a relatively normal sleep for like the one hour I will get before it's uh, New Japan time. <laughs> but still, yeah, it was such an amazing entrance. But the rest of the card, I know I went on a tangent and was going to talk about New Japan and it's like, no, not enough time. The first match of the night, I'm not, again, I'm not doing the kickoff, was the submission match for the Raw Women's Championship, Natalia versus Becky Lynch, which means from WrestleMania to SummerSlam, Becky Lynch has gone from main eventing as one of the hottest acts in the company to kicking off the show as a lukewarm one. But to be fair, that's not her, like, she's not really diminished in what she's doing it's just that the story kind of, and the like, the stuff written for her just like Seth Rollins like that angle with her and Seth Rollins just damaged them both made them so I was going to say the word like uncool but let me f- f- feel a little bit like a teenager like god you're so not cool dad but th- they weren't <laughs> their lives were so cringeworthy like week after week <sighs> but it's Becky Lynch. It's the same thing with Seth Rollins. When they get to that big stage, when they are able to put on a good wrestling match, they will get the crowd back behind them and it will be like none of that crap ever happened. It's the, uh, I guess, the John Cena effect. Like It's been quite an interesting analysis now that John Cena era has ended. But it's that idea that John Cena was kind of hiding all of the WWE bad kind of creative and booking. Like There were complaints from regular like, watches and things. However... John Cena was such a like 
admitting ball of charisma that he could hide a lot of the really, really bad storylines and things just by delivering them in such an incredible way. And I feel like Becky Lynch could be one of those people who kind of just hides how bad it is by being so damn popular and like having so much behind her and the matches being captivating people so much. She can kind of hide that a little bit. Uh, Seth Rollins doesn't seem to have that ability, but they've obviously, since the Cena era, they've done a different turn. <laughs> and it's seemingly it's kind of like damage they can't recover from. Like, you look at Roman when he's booked properly, and he's just like, yeah, he is a badass. He is rightfully at the top of the company. But then you see him them, when they try to book him as the likeable babyface at the top of the company, and it, it just doesn't work. And same with Seth Rollins. When they when he was Seth Rollins, like Mr. Monday Night Raw, putting on amazing matches, he got so much, very much behind him. But then after WrestleMania, when they tried to start booking him as the top babyface, it just doesn't work. And it's it's the way they, they are doing it. So in Becky Lynch, her rise to the top where she was doing amazing character work against Charlotte, amazing, like perfect. The story got really, really convoluted when they went on their road to WrestleMania, but still, I was pretty excited for it. <laughs> it was convoluted, but still felt big. Then as soon as after WrestleMania hit, just an immediate lull. Uh, yeah, I don't know if who they were working with didn't help. I mean, it definitely didn't help. Yeah, Seth Rollins got Baron Corbin, Becky Lynch got Lacey Evans, where. Like you'd want her to hit her feud, she can sink her teeth into and continue to kind of like continue with that momentum. When no, now she's kind of in the middle of getting this new act over. Like the the champion just won at WrestleMania, shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> it's going to make her feel like a less of a commodity. However, this match was really really good. It's one of the, I think it went only like thirteen minutes or so, and when it got into its final sequence, I was like, I am perfectly fine. If this is not the finish and we get another like 5-10 minutes of this. Because it's building really, really nicely. Uh, especially as I've been watching the G1 Climax. And this, right here. This was this was the point where in a New Japan match it then kicks into that final gear. And you get that final sequence full of counters. And uh, both men both men doing whatever they can to stop the other one. Where it's also trying to destroy the other opponent themselves. But here, it was, as soon as they start going into that sequence, that's when it ends. It's like you get the, you get the, uh, you get the finisher move, and then that move is countered into the other person's finisher, and that's that. It's like, oh, it was actually I was ready for it to enter that final sequence. <laughs> but in that regard, that made this the perfect match to be the first match of the show, especially for somebody who is in like the New Japan brain because it is the G1 Climax. Uh, the I think which it's describe it to people who don't know. The way they end that, it's like a month-long competition. It's the most prestigious tournament in definitely Japanese wrestling, but maybe in world wrestling at the moment. And it's a month-long competition, and the way they end it is like a three-day straight. And it's some of the best wrestling ever. But you kind of get used to those matches where they kind of build and build and build. And as we're just saying here, you'd see this moment, and this moment kind of triggers, right, now we're going to the final stretch. So I've been so used to that kind of structure of matches, so that when this happened, it was an immediate kind of signifier of, no, this is not, you're not here to be wrestle-tamed, this is the sports entertainment kind of thing. <laughs> like As soon as it enters that sequence, this isn't the, oh, it's going to kick into the next stage, it's the, no, this is kicking into the end. And the rest of the card kind of followed that formula, uh, which meant that none of the matches overran their welcome, aside from maybe one, uh, maybe Charlotte Tristratus, but they built really really well as in that was kind of 
a slower start, and then they got more and more into it, and the crowd got more and more into it, and then so did I. So, yeah. But yeah, so this was a Lynch versus Natalia was really really good. I could have done. I was perfectly fine to have more of it. But then I do see that the president is set for the rest of the show. Then for me, kind of meant the rest of the show flowed. Because then if they had kicked into an extra gear, then that next match would have felt like a lesser gear. Whilst it felt fitting and kind of just flowed decently. So, yeah, really, really good choice for openers. I was questioning it at first, but no, it, it uh, flowed really well. Natalia is a really, really good wrestler. She's not a very good promo. <laughs> She's not great at the acting or emotion stuff. But as an actual wrestler, obviously that this immediately contradicts that not good at the emotion because you have to be decent at it to be the good wrestler. But she puts on really, really entertaining matches. Like for me, there's no question about it. She's great in the ring. It's just the sports entertainment stuff. She's maybe not as great. <laughs> but actual wrestling, yeah, she's amazing. So yeah, um, yeah, I'd highly recommend. Watch, really, for most of this card, I would recommend watching it all. It's also like a really, really good example, especially as we are living in this world with like multiple choice. Like WWE is no longer the monopoly. That will definitely like be triggered by October. So you've now got choice. And the thing I seem to like about AW is they are going to be different. I'm one of those people who's going to watch both promotions. I'm still going to watch New Japan. I'm going to watch WWE. I'm going to watch AW. I'm going to, if I've got the time, hopefully life doesn't change too much or drastically. <laughs> That's never going to happen. But for now I'm planning on watching like just all three of those promotions I want them all to succeed but for me the big thing is all three of them are different and they for the feeling we get from them is they are not like each other and they offer variety for me I'm, a, I'm for as big a variety between the three promotions as possible especially WWE and AEW because that's my criticism of TNA they felt too often like WWE light AEW the reason why I'm kind of I stay away from comparisons to WWE and why I don't really get behind so many people comparing them to WWE or measuring their certain production elements or the way they structure a show or their storylines, how they're comparing that to WWE, because it feels so different. And we don't know how television is going to work because I'm still considering the fact that it might work like New Japan, where yes, you do get probably going to do video packages might be the slight Western influence. But there's a very, very high chance that the promos of things are not on the main show. Or if they're on the main show, it's kind of like they did with Kip Saban at Fight for the Fallen, where they just cut to him and he gave a backstage promo in front of the logos and things. And it felt kind of sporty in a way, because it felt rougher, more grounded. It didn't feel high production. So, yeah. It's a tangent. (laughs) Point being, if WWE, if it's like this... Well, it's the sports entertainment solid. None of the matches are your five-star wrestling classics. But you will be sports entertained. <laughs> you will be super duper entertained by watching all of the matches. And they will all flow really easily. So it's a very, very different feeling. Whilst AW are probably going to go for those five-star wrestling classics. Well, then that's the promotion for you if that's how you measure wrestling. If that's how you watch wrestling. If, you, if you're somebody who gives a star rating to every single match... And you look for like the best wrestlers as who is the best map wrestler <laughs> kind of thing. Then WWE really is going to probably get less and less for you. Of course, who knows how AW is going to influence WWE and vice versa. Yeah, like, we, we, we want to not know for like months after October. But it's quite an interesting time. Speaking of sports entertainment... Dolph Ziggler versus Bill Goldberg. <laughs> so yeah, so I was really annoyed because I had a thought during this match. I was like, I'm going to say this during Aftershock. 
Then I bloody saw Matthew tweet it, and now I'm annoyed because thousands of people have liked it, <laughs> and it's not original anymore. Oh, I was going to make the comparison to Ziggler and the Black Knight from Monty Python, but no. <laughs> the other British person's already beaten me to it. Oh, I guess I can explain it if you've not seen the tweet or you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so in the Holy Grail, there's the uh, there's this knight called the Black Knight, and he gets like a he's in a fight and uh, he gets his arm chopped off, and he's like ah. Oh, just, 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 a, just, just a flesh wound, and then turns into another fight, and there's another fight, and then he like, gets his leg chopped off. Ah, ah, tis but a flesh wound. <laughs> and then continues fighting, and he's more and more body parts, and he is just a body and a head, just like on the ground. Like, just a flesh wound. I can keep going. <laughs> For me, that's what Dolph Ziggler was in this match. <laughs> Bill Goldberg came out, just cut him down, cut him down. It's like ah, just a flesh wound. Is that all you got, you dipshit? There we go. And he comes back, and uh, yeah, then he's lying on the ground, arms just loose by his side. He's like, Is that all? Is that all we got? <laughs> For me, it went from. He's got. That's why I thought it was. That's what reminded me of the Black Knight. But when it first happened, you're like, Oh, that's a interesting skit. Because uh, don't if you if you don't if you know of the legend of Monty Python rather than watching them, they're quite hit and miss. But that's kind of like the wonder of it. Kind of like when people were like, were drawn to Saturday Night Live in its earlier stages in the seventies. Like, yes, it may have like a legendary status, but it was very hit and miss. <laughs> if you watch it, you will not laugh at everything. So, I, so when he come when I came when he come across this for the first time, it's like, oh, he's. I mean, he's relatively funny. Uh, but then it does it a second time. It's like, oh, right, oh, this is maybe I feel oh, uh, a bit bad for him. But then the third time, it leaves. Uh, kind of, it's, it's gone from oh this is good to oh it's maybe a bit uh, but it then crosses the line again to oh wait no this is brilliant. <laughs> it, it, the third time for me did it. It's like oh no he is just it's like oh, it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> then Goldberg comes back out again and hits the super spear, uh, and that's him done for. Yeah, I love this. And Ziggler was the perfect guy to do this with. He is not somebody who is getting momentum built for him. He won't be damaged by this because he's already at a certain level. So it's just. He was the perfect guy to choose. And of course, after The Undertaker, Dolph Ziggler's going to make Bill Goldberg look like a badass. So, again, perfect person to use to make Bill Goldberg look awesome. That first spear uh, taken by Gold, which Goldberg delivered to Ziggler, Ziggler sold that like so brilliantly. <laughs> the spear looked bloody brilliant. I can't say bloody brilliant. I'll say it really slowly. It looked amazing. So, kudos to Dolph Ziggler. Oh, obviously, kudos to Goldberg for... He, he also played his part as well <laughs> taking the Ziggler super kicks at the start to throw everybody off guard but yeah really really good match uh, after that we got some Drake Maverick kind of stuff <laughs> backstage where it was the new day and they put, said they brought in Drake obviously it wasn't that Drake the Toronto form of the Cold Raptors again I know nothing about the basketballs <laughs> it means nothing to me American sports just go straight over my head whenever Elias makes a reference I'm like ah Sports reference, <laughs> and that's it. As I, uh, yes, I understand the cadence of the joke. <laughs> I don't know what he's on about. But yeah, Jake Maverick comes out, and then uh, he name drops Ealing. <laughs> so shout out to Ealing and Bo Selector. I don't know if anyone knows who Bo Selector is in America, <laughs> but I found that quite funny. It's like, ah, oh, yes, British early two thousands tele like media culture. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know if. That, yeah, that's how I feel during the sports references. <laughs> Maybe when Jake Maverick was just name dropping random shite <laughs> from back in the UK. It's like, oh, he got a pop out of me. <laughs> that was good. Right, next up, Ricochet versus AJ Styles. 
I enjoyed this one. However, I did see quite a few mixed feelings on uh, Twitter. It's like quite a few people. Um, I have seen a few saying that maybe they enjoyed the women's more than the men, and I saw that especially this match, people were expecting a lot more. However, for me, I had been conditioned by that Becky Lynch match. As soon as that went on, I was like, right, this is what I am expecting. I am not expecting it to kick into this next gear. Mostly because I also know there are a lot of matches on this card they're going to have to blast through. In what world will they have time for the match to go to it? Like Ricochet and AJ Styles to go that 20-25 minutes. To, so it's got the time to build and then kick into that next gear. It's like, no. As soon as it gets to like a decent build point, that's when it's going to end. And that's exactly what it was. Like, it was a good match. I had fun with it. It was a breeze. It absolutely flew by. I think it was like 12-13 minutes again. I think it's not that not super long, but again, it was fine and it had an amazing ending. It wasn't the five star classic I know some people were expecting. I've just got to a point where I have disengaged from WWE and I no longer expect that kind of match to be put on by them. But it was a very easy watch. <laughs> For me, it wasn't a bad match. I wouldn't rate it negatively at all. It was a solid three stars, probably, just like the rest of most of the card. Like, there's nothing wrong with the card. As a show overall, everything being three stars and solid and it flows really well, for me, kind of lifts it up a little bit because it's such an easy watch overall, especially as I'm not somebody who rates matches by stars or whatever. It's just, did I enjoy it? Yeah, there you go. For me, good match. <laughs> That's why it was I entertained. It's my only measurement. <laughs> I don't need any more than that, really. But... For me, the uh, obviously the star moment was Ricochet doing the Phoenix Splash and AJ Styles catches him and hits the Styles Clash. That absolutely amazing counter. Uh, I'm one of those nerdy people, because I watch New Japan, I have seen that exact counter by AJ Styles before. Uh, in the uh, It's become kind of famous now because of what happens in the match where it's the one where Kenny Omega steps up onto the ropes and it's like the first time he's seen Kota Ibushi in years. And it kind of just, instead of attacking him like the other Bullet Club members, Kenny Omega just kind of nervously stares at him and just, he can't do it. And he just kind of steps down. So then that gives the time for AJ Styles to like, stand, stop, stand to his feet. And Kota Bushi hits the Phoenix Splash, caught into the Styles Clash. So that was a few years ago. However, I forgot all about it. <laughs> it's like, yes... Because the bit you've seen of the clip recently is just the Kenny Omega staring at Kota Ibushi kind of thing. Like if you've watched New Japan. That's the thing you've seen. They don't always show the Kota Ibushi Phoenix Splash caught into the Styles Clash. They don't always show that. So when this happened, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot AJ Styles can do that. <laughs> and I don't know how to catch somebody who's spinning like that without much talk and just catch them and hit the Styles Clash. Like Obviously it requires a super amount of athleticism. Side note... If you've got New Japan World, put on Ricochet versus Kota Ibushi. <laughs> it, it's on there. I think it was like a New Japan, uh, like a junior uh, final or title match or something. Uh, can't even tell the year. <laughs> but he, obviously by those names, yes, it's amazing. Uh, but yes, Ricochet with his uh, flippy to doodah dressed as Nightwing, if you didn't get that one. So, Nightwing, but he had the art of Ricochet, which is obviously Robin. But of course the blue and the black also reminded me of Roman Reigns. So before I figured out what it was, I was like, is he wearing Roman Reigns gear? There's <laughs> all three people saying that he was a S.H.I.E.L.D. fan and all of that. But, yeah, good for you, Ricochet. <laughs> but yes, he was Nightwing and he wore the entire outfit the whole time. I thought he'd just do it for his entrance and then actually wrestle the match, showing off his abs. But no, 
fully dressed with the gloves and all and everything for <laughs> the entire match. Carl uh, Anderson and Luke Gallows were the distraction at ringside, so instead of the Kenny Omega stepping up, it was Carl Anderson trying to stop him. And this time, yeah. It's, it's interesting that it was the same thing of Gallows and Anderson interfering in the matches, but this time, obviously, no Omega. It was just Gallows and Anderson were enough to distract Ricochet, and then he tries the same thing in court. It's such an awesome spot. <laughs> I'm not one of those dirty people who goes, oh, in fact, I've seen it before and it was better. It's like, no, I saw it before. It's just as cool. <laughs> it's like, That's not a move I'm going to tire of seeing. Well, I used to love Poison Varners and Elodon all the time. It's just like, ah. Oh. Like when some one person does it and it's awesome, everybody wants to try and do it. It's like ah, just keep this to AJ. This one's not an easy one. I'd love for this just to be AJ's counter to athletic people, which is very rarely pulled out. Like the last example I gave was like 2015, 2014, like four or five years ago. That I am fine with that amount of rarity. <laughs> it makes the move feel more special. Ah. Yeah, post match as well. Uh, the Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson attacked a Ricochet post match kind of really give the emphasis of how on top the OC are. And I'm really enjoying the OC stable run. Uh, I think I am going to check... Uh, sometimes it's its job in making me want to check out Raw and SmackDown. Caveat being English, so my stats, as far as I know, they don't really care. <laughs> but, but I still watch it. Uh, I'm losing it at the end of the month. They're moving from Sky to BT Sport, and BT Sport will cost me an extra £20 a month which I'm not going to pay just for WWE. I am sorry. <laughs> There's actually £20 or going to be going for other things. I've got to save up for AEW. Oh. Those pay-per-views will only cost me 15 quid, which I guess is the equivalent to like somewhere between 18 and $19. So, sorry, America, when you're paying 60 <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. But yes, AJ Styles Ricochet, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, A fun match. Ricochet got to do his flips, the... Uh, club got to interfere and also get knocked down. Uh, AJ Styles was really, really smart. Like Ricochet did one athletic thing at the start where he did the amazing kind of stepping stones thing on Luke Gallows into a hook and Rana. It's like, oh, off Gallows, off Anderson, into AJ with a Rana. It's like, oh, that was brilliant. But it was uh, that was the moment afterwards where AJ Styles then just started chopping his leg. It just <laughs> like so vicious with it, like a really like difference of uh, Matt's tactic in a way just made AJ Styles immediately like the villain it's like, oh, I love AJ Styles as a villain like it was so good when it was him and Ambrose kind of at the top of Smackdown Live uh, yes there was the interesting Ellsworth stuff at times but those two always put on great matches and his stuff against John Cena as well I, I loved all of that but as soon as he turned face he seemed to lose all of his character like for me if he turned face but kind of kept his cocky character of sorts that would have still like it's still AJ was my thinking but no he turned face and lost all of his character that was at the time where almost everybody on Smackdown had the exact same issue apart from Jinder Mahal who they desperately tried to make tried to make relevant <laughs> oh, but yeah now he's back to being a villain but yes it's, it's awesome it's great he works so damn well and the club are such a great faction when they are kind of like this like when they were against Roman and the Usos like that worked so damn well and I can't wait for like the club to really get into gear again because they've been being built up as a force to be reckoned with. Now they are established. So yeah, I'm excited for that. After that, we've got Street Profits and an amazing segment where uh, they spot Ric Flair coming in and then they start all going, woo, woo, and Montez Ford is just hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, if you like your comedy segments and people pulling funny faces, this is the segment for you. Next up, Ember Moon vs. Bailey. Again, for me, 
another solid three-star match. It was one where the crowd were kind of tired and didn't really care for it. Uh, the character work itself beforehand to kind of try and make you care for the show wasn't great. There wasn't that much investment going in. Uh, Ember Moon especially was really weird. Like they had her, I think they had her beat Charlotte. I can't remember if they had her beat Bailey or not. But then on the final like two weeks towards the pay-per-view, she lost, like she was just on television and lost two matches in a row which were building other people. I want to say like Alexa Bliss and maybe it was Charlotte as well. But she lost to people who were building their own feuds. And it's like, well, if she's challenging for the title. Why is she the one taking this pin? This is so weird. <laughs> and it just destroyed any momentum and care for Ember Moon going into this match. Like, there was no final thing between her and Bailey like, going into SummerSlam. It's just like, she just lost. It's like, well, where's her momentum? Why do I care about her as a challenger? Like, there's nothing between her and Bailey. <laughs> there was at the start, and it was just dropped. So maybe that was something just lost in the shuffle whilst they're doing the amazing Roman Reigns metal thing falling on him, on him stuff. <laughs> but yeah, this was a fun, uh, three, again, fun three-star match. Nothing wrong with it, nothing amazing about it. Really easy to watch. Although at the end, again, the, the crowd didn't seem to super care, and there was quite a few boos for Bailey as well. Uh, but they, with the spots in the match, they seemed to get people into the match. Ember Moon as well pulled out some very, very unique moves. Like uh, lifting her up for, I don't know what to call it, where it's, it's what Will Ospreay uses to set up the Stormbreaker, where he's got them upside down on his shoulder, where Emma Moon then just spanned, spanned Bailey off and into a Codebreaker. Like, that was awesome. Uh, she got to use her athleticism as well, and Bailey was forced to go up to Emma Moon's level, literally, <laughs> climbing up to the top rope and hitting a Bailey to belly for the win. It was also a little bit sloppy in parts. Uh, oddly, I felt they were Bailey more than Ember Moon, but but uh, you can't. I don't. I'm not really a wrestler. I don't know who triggered it. <laughs> or because Bailey was one who looked bad doesn't mean that it was her fault. I don't. I don't know wrestling good enough. Uh, but yes, Bailey retained in a match which had no heat going in and had no ma- ma- no heat coming out. But it was a good match and I enjoyed it. <laughs> I still say to this point, 100% keep on watching this show. Is that what you keep on watching every match from this show? Sorry. Because it's such an easy watch. Like it's one of those shows that would be really easy to watch back in the future, compared to one of the events where you've got like an amazing match and then a nothing match, and then a good match, and then a nothing match. It's like I don't like the ebb and flow. Like for me, this was solid, same quality throughout most of it. <laughs> it's like, I like that, really easy to watch. And speaking of Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon, this was uh, great again. This had so many shenanigans, like just sitting there going, I am sports entertained. <laughs> just so much WWE shenanigans. This had just all of the McMahon you know, grubby hands all over it, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Like it, For me, this was very Attitude Era-esque booking, where you had like, all of the shenanigans at ringside, and then it even had Kevin Owens kicking the kind of person in charge in the dick and then hitting a stunner. It's just like... How much more Attitude Era can you get? <laughs> it's so damn good. Uh, I love the idea of uh, Shane McMahon trying to goad Kevin Owens into using a weapon to get himself disqualified and get fired. Uh, Elias coming out to uh, so he's against the odds. Another like Attitude Era thing he did against Steve Austin all the time. It makes Owens feel like a badass when he overcomes them. So, yeah. But yeah, Shane McMahon was doing his best to goad him in. He didn't really get that much offence, Shane McMahon, because that was my feeling. When Owens was on top, I was just waiting for Shane McMahon to just wake up and then start 
beating him and then Elias somehow helps and that's enough to turn the tide. But nope, Kevin Owens stayed on top and he kept Elias away most of the time. Whenever Elias ended up some ended up kind of doing something to interfere in the match, that's because Shane McMahon was in danger and he was not on top of things. It's like, yeah, Kevin Owens the wrestler beat Shane McMahon pretty soundly. Like, no qualms here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Ah. Yes, really, really enjoyable match, continuing the three-star trend of, again, not an amazing five-star match, but definitely a sports entertainment match, <laughs> which I really, really rated. Next up, was a bit confusing in terms of card order, because we got the Roman Reigns, uh, Tom Phillips introduced the Roman Reigns storyline, and I'm like, ah, yes, let's recap all of the bollocks. <laughs> uh, so it, it, the big metal thing falling on Roman, Caleb Braxton's amazing acting, then you got the uh, Samoa Joe thing afterwards, and then you've got uh, Buddy. Was it Buddy Murphy? Uh, Buddy Murphy says it's Rowan. Then Rowan comes out and attacks Buddy Murphy on the kickoff show as well, and he's like, "Oh, right, is something going to happen? Then you're going to get like a next stage of it. It's SummerSlam. Surely Roman Reigns is not going to miss SummerSlam." And then you see sparkles in the crowd. <laughs> so if you were there live, you didn't see this, <laughs> but. Uh, throughout the night, there was augmented reality. I don't know if it appears on the Titantrons or whatever. But augmented reality, it still looks shite. <laughs> it's just, oh, like it looks bad now. It's not going to age well at all, <laughs> this augmented reality. When we watch this back in five, ten years, you might say the phrase, what were they thinking? But also, it's just like, oh, it just looks so bad. Oh. So I am, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that day. <laughs> I hope we make it. Hopefully I live long enough to be able to look back at WWE's augmented reality and be like, oh god, it's worse than I remembered. <laughs> but yeah, so for Charlotte, they had like flashing stars just all around. Kind of like you got the phone for the lights that light up to kind of give that firefly effect. They just had them sparkling all over. It's like, oh, what's going on? Oh, it wasn't the worst one. There was some... Oh, there was one way it went through the, the sign. I can't remember what it was. It was somebody's sign where it went through it it was like oh right we're going through <laughs> and it was really weird oh it's Natalia it's like Natalia's uh, heart heart and uh, yeah the camera went through the middle there was like a gap in the heart and it went through it uh, and it was like right we're going through then <laughs> and it was like yep yeah, this is really bad quality yeah <laughs> it's so weird uh, but yeah so for Charlotte the, the flashing lights uh, she comes out uh, and then now comes just Stratus to an amazing pop, obviously in her hometown of Canada, and they made sure to say, and from and in her own hometown of Toronto, Canada, <laughs> just to make sure you remember that she's from Canada. And of course, on her Titantron, she had her like emblem logoy thing, and on there stuck on there was the Canadian flag again, just in case you didn't remember <laughs> she was Canadian. Kevin Owens didn't need that because he's a badass. <laughs> If, yeah, everybody knows he's from Canada, but just in case you forgot just Justice from Canada with a Canadian flag on the Titan Trump. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but yes, this match over-delivered for me. I was going in expecting either something really short or something which was given more time and and, and would come across as probably shouldn't have because that's the impression I kind of got from just Justice in the performances that I've seen her in so far. Like, may, like WWE expecting more of what she's probably capable of at this stage. I was completely wrong. Trish Stratus, yeah, at the beginning of the match, it was a little bit sloppy. And I saw somebody on Twitter say, it feels like it's been two minutes of Charlotte Flair wrestling herself. <laughs> I was like, mm, that's a bit harsh. 
But like, you could definitely not say that for the second half of the match. I mean, the fact I don't remember much from the first half says something about how memorable it really was for me. Like, the only thing I remember from the beginning was like, oh god, Charlotte Flair is... Either she's really tall or Trish Stratus is way shorter than I remember. <laughs> the height difference was quite evident. But So uh, Charlotte Flair uh, kind of dominated the first portion and then he had uh, Trish Stratus reversing the odd thing. Uh, as the match went on as well, it turned into more and more uh, like elaborate counters. As like they're a bit more tired, therefore you can set them up for the next thing. But that gets countered. Oh, is <laughs> it kind of built and built and built from that? Uh, for me, that the the amazing part that's really twisted it was when Trish Stratus did the figure eight on Charlotte. It's like oh, that was, that was so good. Where she bridged. <laughs> it's like oh, she's doing the bridge as well, and and it, it looks great as well. <laughs> I don't think I don't think anyone else who's stolen it has actually made it look awesome. Because it's not an easy thing to do that. You need quite a bit of core strength to do it. And the point that uh, she did do it but didn't have the core strength in the end. It's like, oh, I like that. Like, it's it's Charlotte's move. Like If some people can give it a go, and Trish Jessica is really the first person who's made it look just as good as Charlotte does. However, she does, it's not her move. She doesn't have the core strength. It's like, oh, I, I love that. I love it when wrestling does that thing, sort of thing. Like Just that logic of if you use someone else's finisher, that's not the move that you've been perfecting, so it's not going to have that same effect as somebody who has been perfecting that one move. It's like, ah, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, the touch of that with Alistair Black in NXT, like he'd been practising the fade to black, and when he hits it, yeah, he, that's the kick that he has perfected, hitting it again and again and again and again. So, yeah. I like that in wrestling. It means, makes the move mean stuff. Yeah, so uh, Tristratus of, uh, as well uh, reversing the power bomb off the top. But when that happened, I was like, "Jesus Christ, is Tristratus actually going to take a power bomb from the top rope?" <laughs> I was like, "No," but she's going to reverse it into the hook of Marlos, which was yeah, that was great. Yeah, as I said with the figure eight as well, that was an awesome moment. Which then transitions into later where Charlotte h- hits the figure eight herself. Uh, I think she had to readjust because maybe uh, over assumed how tall Trish was again <laughs> so that was quite funny just a minor thing she just again it's not so, something which matters at all I just found it a little bit funny as in she went to bridge couldn't do it <laughs> so then had to lower nudge herself forward a bit and then do it again it was like yeah like I don't care <laughs> I, just, I just got a little laugh out of it so yeah really really over delivered for what I was expecting uh, again continued the trend of the show to this point of just like a solid show, nothing spectacular, but all of a easily watchable caliber all the way through, and you get you get your pops throughout it as well. Uh, so yeah, I really really enjoyed this match, and it sounded like the live crowd got a bigger kick out of it as well. Like for these like legend versus top star matches, being in the crowd is always going to be much much better than like somebody watching it miles away at home. Uh, they work. It doesn't. These don't always translate. But the match itself was good enough that, yeah, I was... yeah, <laughs> Well done, Trish Jassus. <laughs> really, really did, was not expecting it to be like that good. So good on her. Next up, I'm going to... Oh, yeah, the Bret Hart thing. Uh, that was hilarious. <laughs> so Seth Rollins is backstage and they show the tape on the stomach and immediately he's like, oh, is this going to be a selling an injury match again? Uh, but then we see Bret Hart arrive and he's like, hey, hey, Seth. And then leaves. <laughs> I was like, oh, you get that paycheck, Brett. <laughs> you get that paycheck. Oh, 
is going to be the pub quiz answer of appearing on AW and WWE within the, like, the one summer of 2019. <laughs> but yes, Bray Hart appears, gets his paycheck, and as he leaves, uh, if you watch it back on the network, when he leaves, he, when he turns to go and walk away, he looks straight down the camera. <laughs> it's like, right, that's my paycheck. And then off he pops. I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> that was so good. As in, it was, wasn't for anything of the things he did on purpose. But it was just the him turning up, going A up, and then pissing off. And whilst he is in the motion of pissing off, <laughs> he stares straight down the camera. <laughs> it's like, oh, that was great. Right then. Then we get to the final... Gonna match. We're gonna talk. I don't. I didn't want to end on a negative. Oh, I'll talk. I'll mention the fiend again afterwards. He was so damn good. So the only negative of this entire show that I have got is Randy Orton versus Kofi Kingston. I thought I'd have another negative going through everything, but really, like, no, I haven't really got anything negative because the rest of the show to this point had flowed so easily that even though there was nothing spectacular, I'd hardly say the show fell off a cliff. It was just of uh, the same standard, which made it for me really, really interesting to watch. Not interesting, but easy to watch. Again, I am somebody who is not invested in all of this. <laughs> like, again, I watch like one Raw a month. Uh, I've disengaged from WWE because of that Raw I was saying earlier, where the more you watch, the more it feels like you get punished for doing so, trying to keep up with all of the storylines and things where things get changed around every two weeks you don't know what's going to be canon from week to week so why invest you don't know what is worth your time getting invested in so I don't <laughs> end off and I've started enjoying WWE because the pay-per-views always deliver if WWE was only measured on their pay-per-views they'd have a very similar perception or not not similar perception to AW because they've obviously got the upstart kind of new car smell but they would be of a different kind of measurement and consistency because their pay-per-views mostly deliver it's the television which has got the biggest issue right now so Randy Orton and Kofi Kingston weirdly is the opposite of all that the uh, video package beforehand was amazing uh, as far as I've seen they, it didn't seem well the match started with uh, like really like vicious <laughs> attack on each other which was like kind of great to see uh, but apparently uh, I've seen that that kind of feeling wasn't on television, but what was in the video package was a pretty good representation of what's happened in the past few weeks. Uh, I love them calling back at, I want to say the year was 2009, I'm not sure if it was, uh, and that amazing kind of, uh, the, the, the really famous story now of Kofi Kingston getting his push and the cheesy thing where they got Randy Orton and a NASCAR car, and it's like, right, something's happening to that car, and then Kofi Kingston appears with paint and attacks his car, uh, I remember at the time watching that with my dad, <laughs> and my dad was just like, "Oh no, not the car! Oh, not not the not the car! <laughs> oh no, he's got his new car destroyed." Obviously, it was so blatant it was going to happen. A non-wrestling fan is, of course, going to take the piss. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with my my dad. He was he's somebody who will take the piss rather than just sitting there going, "This is shit. Why do you watch this shit?" I don't understand. Those are the ones that. Oh, they annoy me <laughs> that kind of thing it's like my line has always been if you're going to watch wrestling with me then I'd, I'm not going to take you si- sitting there corning it shit asking me why do I watch this shit do I know it's not real all of that stuff if you take the piss out of it like I do <laughs> then yeah I'm all game for that so yeah <laughs> that was a perfectly like my another line of my dad where he saw Goldust and Stardust and his immediate question was are they aliens? So that's, a, that's a better explanation than we've been given. <laughs> we can take that. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, 
Yeah, so, yeah. If you are somebody, if your non-wrestling friend listens to this for some reason, <laughs> then that's my recommendation of watching wrestling with a wrestling fan. Take the piss out of it. Don't insult them for watching it. <laughs> we'll call it shit. Anyway, to the, the them mentioning the storyline where they, when then Randy Orton in the match started shouting at Kofi Kingston, stupid, stupid. If I remember rightly, Kofi was meant to slowly rise and then he would hit an RKO. But he was taking absolutely ages and Randy Orton just snapped in the moment. Uh, and uh, then his, his push died that day. As in, they'd been building Kevin Kidson for like a month and it was going really, really well. They did an amazing angle on Madison Square Garden. It was like the old setup where they come through the narrow entrance. So like, I loved that because it made it feel different. You know, that's the one, like, another criticism of WWE nowadays is with the similar production, none of the shows have a unique feel about them and they can just meld it together. Like, I always remember the Madison Square Garden shows because they had that unique setup and that was, that was enough for me. <laughs> to make me remember them forever. But yes, Kofi Kingston with an amazing moment where he jumped uh, through, uh, he was in the crowd and he jumped onto, or like a announce table area, and Randy was on a table and he jumped off and through the table and it was just part of a brawl and it worked so damn well that it set up kind of this thing as well, where he did the match with Randy Orton and then his push died that day, just took a put. Next thing you know, he's tagging with Evan Bourne in air boom or something. Or was it soon? I can't remember the timelines, I've seen Punk at Evan Bourne. But yeah, that was that dead, and the rumor was that Randy Orton killed it, like there and there, like that was it, <laughs> kind of thing. So the fact that they incorporated this into this match ten years later, it's like, oh yeah, that's so damn good, yes, because <laughs> at the time there were rumors of something like that, and then Randy Orton was saying, yes, I got it, I killed him dead, and then linking it into the world we're in now, saying that he was not worthy of being at that position. It's like, oh, that yes, I, oh, it works so damn well. Like the entire video package I thought was brilliant it hyped up this match perfectly and uh, as we were making the entrances I was like yes I'm ready for this and then they started laying into each other at the start I was like yes I'm yeah off Randy Orton offered him a pancake and he just slapped it away like oh yes and like I am all in for this and then it slowed to a crawl and became a Randy Orton match it's like oh no like as soon like with the, the VTR package and then with the way the match started I was like this could be Kofi Kingston's like best match since his Brian match, they could, like the title defense he really needed, and it just wasn't. It, it it just became a Randy Orton match, and I just slowly. This was the first time in the entire show that I started to feel tired, and I just lost more and more interest <laughs> the more it went on, and then it ended in a count out. It's like oh, there were some good spots. Like, what that really stood out was Kofi Kingston went for an SOS, and Randy Orton countered, and then kind of draped him over the ropes and hit the DDT. It's like, oh, that was smooth and brilliant. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed that. Obviously, there are quite a few uh, Trouble in Paradise counters. Uh, the other one was where Kofi Kingston did his amazing uh, jumping splash from the top rope and Randy Orton caught him in the RKO and then just smiled. Uh, I thought there was a, that Kofi, yeah, Randy Orton was going to smile and then just do something afterwards. It's like, yes, I can now mess with him. I can prove my point. But no, he just smiled and then Randy and Kofi Kingston just slowly rolled out the ring. And it's like, oh, that's a bit weird. <laughs> but like, as in, that first point isn't lost. It's still awesome that he hit the arc out and then just smiled in just like, at like I told you. It's like, oh, I loved that. That was great. But, uh, yeah, it slowed down to a crawl and maybe it was just, maybe this match did fit the three star that I'm talking about. But for me, uh, it was so slow that I lost 
interest and by the time that the double count out happened it was just like eh uh, Toronto crowd chanted bullshit and they were not in really into Kobe Kingston beating the crap out of Orton afterwards like that wasn't enough to save it as it and it turns out this was the longest match of the show I want to say it was 16 minutes or so something like that oh I'll go to Wikipedia uh, that's it's fine I've already searched stuff Wiki, oh no uh, SummerSlam just search that that'll come up on Wikipedia SummerSlam Wikipedia why it's so far down here we go give me match times Wikipedia give me match times for Kobe Kingston yeah 16 minutes I mean, oh <laughs> the longest match by 5 seconds <laughs> alright that's not really much to <laughs> thank god they gave the most time to the uh, to the slowest match when they ended it in a double count out like god it was like oh no wait it was only Five seconds longer than Stratus versus Charlotte Flair. <laughs> oh well, uh, but yeah, to have a match go on for the longest amount of the night and end it in a double countout like, for me, that's like expect the, especially in front of Canada fans, like they're not going to take that. <laughs> like no, like for me, it felt like uh, you can't really put the blame on the Canadian fans chanting bullshit on that. Like sometimes you'll see that as someone saying, "Oh, they're not grateful for this uh, match they're seeing. They like, didn't need to turn on it like that." So well, it was the longest match. Which then kind of gives you an expectation, at least, of a finish. As in a, a double count out. Yeah, this isn't the 80s anymore. You can't do that. <laughs> well, you can't do that and expect the crowd to not act negatively. So, yeah. Especially if it's the longest match of the night. You've been built up to expect something, and then it doesn't happen. And the thing you get is Kendo Stick Galore just attacking him. Attacking him. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it wasn't enough. But, yeah. For me, this kind of hurts Kofi's title run. Because no, my uh, one of my interesting points is yes, I've not been watching more SmackDown, but keeping up with the pay per views in that way, I I've not felt like Kofi Kingston needed to lose the title at all. It's kind of like no, I'm like if it kept up the momentum it's been going, like I, I feel no need to take it off him. Like maybe all the way to 2020, like he can keep this title all the way. Like there's no need for Kofi Kingston to lose it. He's building more and more popularity, and it's the the kind of position he's got as well is awesome. Him going back to Ghana, that footage was uh, brilliant. But uh, this match kind of hurts him a bit. And it's not really... I don't know how much it's his fault or whatever, but the match was slow and the double count out. Just like uh, just have Kofi win. Like It's a WWE thing where... Oh, this is the second year in a row they've done this with this title. Because last year you had the... Uh, whatever it was. And then uh, Samoa Joe and AJ Styles had their little fight kind of thing and it's the, it's the show where AJ was bleeding and he picked up his daughter and then his daughter was like daddy you're bleeding it's like oh that was like, adorable <laughs> but his second year in a row this title has ended in a non like clean fashion and it's just I think it's WWE's idea of to prolong the feud you can't give any decisive decisions it's like well why are you featuring it on SummerSlam then <laughs> it's just if you want this feud to continue why are you doing it here on your second biggest show of the year where people are kind of expecting a few decisive finishes it's like eh right then <laughs> uh, the other interesting thing uh, none of the titles changed hands until the main event which I thought was quite interesting so yeah Anyway, it's ten past five in the morning. <laughs> I've now got one hour fifty minutes until my Japanese show starts. No, I'm not doing aftershock for that. I am going to sleep after the G1 climax. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so thank you for listening to this aftershock. Hopefully, Stephen Bear will be able to join us. He was so close this time. It was on the day. Actually, the closer we got, was stomping grounds. Uh, 
so Stephen Bell making his return until we both of us yeah, me in Nottingham England him in Texas what's it and both of us had lightning storms like opposite sides of the world and we're both in lightning storms this is like well one of us might lose power so we'll see how it goes uh, he was the one that lost power storms are a bit more vicious in Texas normally if you've seen the footage of the storms over here in the UK this summer yeah it's fine Gabriel Warby's not real <laughs> so those storms didn't happen so everything's fine uh, anyway <laughs> that was a bit, a bit random uh, tangent so yes the uh, hopefully so yeah Tommy Gunn's the closest we got he had a lightning strike so he lost power and wasn't able to do the show so I jumped in last minute this time made it to the day then found out he wasn't going to be able to do it so fingers crossed <laughs> next time third time looking send Stephen all your fingers crossed and your, your cuddles because he was quite sad about not being able to make it today but he was looking forward to it so hopefully come the next WWE show we can have Stephen Bell <laughs> on Aftershock to actually they can actually be here uh, anyway so yeah follow him on Twitter at Stephen F. Bell follow me on Twitter at the damn Implicat Laws of Pain has a Twitter as well I think it's just at Laws of Pain nice and basic uh, you can read my columns on lawsofpain.net I'm currently uh, the latest one that went up I'm doing a collaboration with our Australian columnist Sir Sam where we have been covering the G1 Climax uh, our latest column covering week 4 of the tournament it went up on Friday, I want to say. Our next one will be going up Tuesday or Wednesday. And that will cover the final three-day stretch that I mentioned earlier. Uh, the A-block final, the B-block final, and the final itself, which starts at 7am. Again, that's one hour and now 48 minutes away. <laughs> it's so much wrestling. Ah, like This mental kind of amount of wrestling is... I feel like it's going to become a bit of a norm. Maybe not like every month, but maybe every quarter we'll get like one of those months in each quarter will be AWWWE New Japan all in like a tiny bubble like we've got it again at the end of August we've got New Japan Royal Quest WWE NXT UK Cardiff and All Out all on the same day so oh which one do I oh hopefully uh, New Japan is being pre-recorded and not actually aired live because then that means I can watch NXT UK and then All In All Out sorry <laughs> so never, huh. uh, in terms of LOP Radio I am live every single Thursday with Imp's LOP Radio Adventure talking about the, the news from that past week uh, this week I'm going to have uh, Jeremy Donovan and Youngboy from Keeping It Strong Style for Imp and the Kiss Boys for <laughs> our review of the G1 Climax 29 so yeah uh, Keeping It Strong Style a, a New Japan specific podcast on Social Suplex they're, they're doing awesomely right now uh, the numbers just keep going up and up and up. They're doing really, really well. So, awesome for those guys. Uh, but, please do listen to the other shows here on LOP Radio. Uh, Mondays, we've got uh, Jan Man and his friend Jeff talking Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling, or sometimes MLW. Tuesdays is the Global Revolution, talking the re- wider wrestling world. Uh, Wednesdays is planned sports entertainment is dead, with a performance arts look on professional wrestling. Uh, he has been doing a uh, revisiting of the SummerSlam pay-per-views from the New Gen era, which is his favourite era. He's written a book on it. I think he's writing a, another book on it, if I got that right. Well, no, he's writing a book on it that's not come out yet. <laughs> that's it. So anyway, so you can follow that. He will also be doing a performance art review of SummerSlam, where it's a, a lot more thought out and uh, in that kind of tone about it. 
Then Thursdays is when I am live, where we or I'll be joined by Jimmy Donovan and, and young boy from Keeping Charles Out. Uh, Fridays is the right side of the pond, uh, Mavpan and Mazza with the Britishness. They've been doing the invasion revisit, but they might do SummerSlam. I don't know. If we're going by Mazza's Twitter, he has no desire to watch SummerSlam, <laughs> so probably not. Uh, Saturdays is our uh, uh, AEW show with All About All Elite uh, from the men who brought you the WCW Legacy Series, Miss Fan and Shane Mystic. So yes, it is AEW, but there's a there's just a there's just a thing of quality about it. <laughs> the WC, if you've listened to the WCW or WF, WF Legacy series, you know exactly what I'm talking about. With just there's an amazing amount of research and quality to that show. I just highly recommend listening to those WWF and WCW Legacy series to kind of like give you an inkling of the quality of All About All Elite, which is of a similar nature. Anyway. You can hear that my word sentence structure has fallen apart <laughs> during that outro. Because oh, my brain is dead. Thank you for sticking with me this long. Maybe you've left me on because you've fallen asleep after watching SummerSlam, but we count those, that's fine. <laughs> it's perfectly fine. Uh, I mean, it counts as a full listen, which for us, I, yeah, I don't care if you fell asleep. That's, that's a stat. <laughs> that's great. Oh, so I am maybe shorter than other abstract shows. I am now going to... Uh, Get an hour's sleep. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, right, so, did you enjoy SummerSlam? Uh, hit me up in the columns and laws of pain. There's also, if you've got just the player for this available on speaker, you can click on the chat button and I, I will see any comment that's posted on there. You can hit me up on Twitter at the TheDamnImplicat. My DMs are open. If you want to send me any questions or just thoughts or just rants on something, I, I might not reply to the rant, but you will. I will see it. So, so you'll get that off your chest <laughs> anyway uh, with that I bid you adieu uh, don't forget to send your cuddles to Stephen <laughs> with that bid you adieu adios still no theme <laughs>